Hi everyone, welcome to the Feedback Loop, Sino Global's podcast, and I'm your host, Hans. On the Feedback Loop, we talk with some of the most interesting people in the space. As the industry is evolving rapidly, we want to keep our audience cognizant of the most fascinating developments in the blockchain and cryptocurrency industry. So we're here today with Annabelle, partner of Amber Group, where we'll be talking about the crypto and DeFi developments in China and Asia. Obviously, there are a lot of things happening in China and Asia, which we are not aware of in the West. China and Asia has have their own thriving community and ecosystem. So today we want to deep dive into the crypto and DeFi industry and see what the developments are uh, in the East. So hi, Annabelle. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm good. Hi, Hans. Hi, nice to meet you. So uh, before we start with the deep dive in the crypto and DeFi industry, uh, why don't you give us uh, a brief introduction about yourself? What's your history background? Sure. Uh, thanks for having me on the Feedback Loop. My name is Annabelle Huang. I'm a partner at Amber Group, a global leading crypto finance service provider. And I was born and raised in China, and then I went to the U.S. for college. And I studied math and finance at Carnegie Mellon University and went on to New York uh, to work on Wall Street. For a number of years. So I was at Deutsche Bank and then at Nomura doing FX and rates related uh, structuring and trading. And then in 2018, I joined a few fellow CMU alums um, and started my crypto journey um, with DeFi. Um, so I, I actually got involved in DeFi pretty early on um, and then moved to Hong Kong uh, to really look at the, the, the Asia uh, scene of the crypto and DeFi world. And that's where I met Amber Group um, and joined them in 2019. We've been with them for almost two years now. I headed a bunch of roles and really saw the ecosystem. We really saw the market grow. Um, and, you know, it's just been what a ride. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. <laughs> so, what has been so uh, so far your favorite story or experience so far, uh, so far that, that can be either in your TreadFi uh, career or in uh, at AirSwap or now Amber? Yeah, I, I think um, every day things happen that, that amazes me in a space. Uh, so I can only say so far, I think my favorite experiences or favorite moments are when these um, traditional finance names or, or, or these household names that are big in the scene and came to us for for advice on on how they should allocate their capital into crypto investments, how they how how should they understand blockchain or, or Bitcoin and and all of that, and and feeling like you know we we are here to service them, we are the expert to to help these otherwise really well known names um, in other industries, um, and and then I feel like that's really validating the reason why we got involved in the space in the first place. Right. So obviously you have been like active uh, in uh, the States and also in uh, Asia. So Hong Kong, China. Um, what is that like? Like, are there any uh, no, uh, key differences or is it like similar? Uh, could you maybe elaborate on the, the similarities, but also I think uh, mostly the differences between China uh, Asia versus the West? Sure. I, I think from what I've seen on the fundamental level, 
people who are in crypto share a lot of the same beliefs, whether it is believing in the technology or that's going to revolutionize the future of finance um, or that, you know, believing that Bitcoin is going to be the, you know, the, the superior store of value, etc. But in terms of differences, um, there are definitely a lot. Um, I think the most prominent one would be that in, in the States, at least, it's very regulatory driven. People are oftentimes more conservative before they decide to try out new businesses versus in Asia, people are more willing to try out new things first and then perhaps uh, deal with the regulatory concerns after. So, um, you know, for better or worse, for what it's worth, it's The result is that the business activity in Asia is a lot more active. Uh, The scene is booming more so than perhaps what we've seen in the States. Um, But there are a lot more R&D and innovation that that comes out of the States versus in China. I think a lot of people are focused a lot more on the cash flow or revenue driven activities like, you know, building exchanges or, or mining uh, that where you can see quick positive cash flow right so if I had to summarize it like in the west or in each states predominantly people are more focused on the tech whereas in China people are more more like uh, money uh, <laughs> profit driven <laughs> I, I guess <laughs> <Is> yeah that... <laughs> right okay yeah that uh, makes sense um, so um also like in asia because like uh, i think there's a lot of, there are a lot of misconceptions because like people assume that asia is just the same but uh for the people that are actually um uh, present in asia we all know that there's like a very clear difference uh there are very clear differences between china korea japan and for instance singapore so could you maybe elaborate a bit on that like uh how is it like in these like for like major countries yeah. uh, in terms of crypto developments? For sure. I'm very glad you asked this question because I've seen a lot of projects based out of the West. Um, just thinking, okay, I'm going to hire one guy and then it's going to, you know, take care of all the Asian markets for me. But in reality, that's not how it works because like you said, right, it is a lot of very, very different markets altogether. China is different, Korea, Japan, um, Singapore, Southeast Asia. There are different languages, different cultures, different user behaviors. A lot of things are similar, I think, in terms of um, you know, what people are looking for, perhaps more profit-driven, like we just discussed. But there are also a lot of very different things going on. Um, I think in Singapore, it is leading the regulatory um regimes in terms uh, in, a, in the sense that it is very progressive and that's why a lot of different projects companies are moving to Singapore to be headquartered there and you know the, the MAS came out with a very clear PSA or payment services act uh, to, to regulate the space versus um, in Korea and Japan, they're catching up on the regulatory front. Actually, in Japan, it's perhaps a little bit too rigorous that um, we all know that, you know, I think a few years ago, Japan was probably the most active market in in, in crypto. But with what happened with Mungox and CoinCheck, 
um, right now, it's very limited in terms of what they can do. There are not that many coins that can be listed in Japan. Um, and then, you know, it's making it quite difficult to really participate in the whole ecosystem and crypto. And Korea is also rolling out new regulations, um, which will have some effects uh, in terms of tax and, and, and other um, other entities operating in Korea. Whereas in China, it's kind of like, um, you know, in 2017, the government just just came out with this rule that, you know, the exchange is not allowed to offer fiat on-ramp anymore. But then after that, people in China found different ways to, to make it work. Um, so I, I think, you know, the, the differences is in local regulations and also in in FX, really, right? And in Singapore, it's very easy for people to exchange Sing dollar to US dollar or other global currencies. But in China and Korea, um, the FX is restricted. There's capital um, controls. Um, so it is also a bit harder for the average Joe to, to invest in crypto um, as easily as perhaps in Singapore or the rest of the world. So I would say that's probably the, the main differences between them. but in terms of user profile, um, people in, in Asia are quite active. They're looking for new investment ideas, uh, especially in China. They're quick to jump into the all new ideas, whether it was DeFi last summer or maybe NFTs this year. Um, so so we, we do feel the level of, of interest and the level of, of participation that, that came out of Asia in general. Awesome. Yeah, I do have two follow-up questions. So, um, uh, South Korea, also uh, with their kimchi premium, um, what's what's happening over there? Why are there like so like major premiums in Korea? And what what are the underlying factors, reasons for that? Uh, right. Uh, uh, I mean, yeah. This is not something new. We've seen this in 2018 at the height of the last uh, bull cycle and then the kimchi premium um, or the the premium of korea a uh, bitcoin to korea one to bitcoin to dollars could be like it was i think over 60 percent uh back in 2018 and right now i think we're seeing um almost 20 percent uh, which is already a bit insane if you think about it people are willing to pay 20 percent more to buy bitcoin in Korea. And then I think it, it just suggests the level of new participants wanting to, to enter into the space. I think partly is because of FOMO, maybe their friends or the KOLs, influencers they follow are telling them how much money they've made in this bull run already. And then they all want to want to participate in it. And the way for them to, to really get into crypto is to use their Korea one to buy Bitcoin on a lot of these local Korean exchanges, um, you know, you don't buy stable coins first. The, the only viable way for you is to buy Bitcoin using a Korea one, which is what's driving the, the premium, um, the, the price difference. But a, a lot of them, they are <laughs> perhaps looking into in, investing in different altcoins uh, where it's more likely that, you know, they'll get 100x or even 1,000x from, from what they had. Uh, so what they do is they'll buy Bitcoin first and then sell it for the other altcoins that they want to invest 
understood. And what are some of the uh, more interesting uh, crypto DeFi uh, developments uh, you see in China right now? Because China is obviously a very booming market, and I think DeFi, um, crypto, it's very, it's very like dominant over there, right? I so, know it's actually <laughs> pretty insane how sophisticated, if I can say, all even the retail um, market is in 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 Asia. Uh, well, I guess by retail I mean um, just the individuals in crypto. Um, looking to invest in the space like they they are very active in, in in DeFi. they've they've farmed all these different pools um in these ethereum based protocols and now binance smart chain they're um they're really quick to to jump into new things um and it's and they've developed really sophisticated strategies right they are monitoring uh these different wallets, um, these like DeFi whale wallets, and then analyzing what projects or what tokens they own, and they'll also allocate accordingly. And they're always looking for the most optimal yield. Um, it's basically, they're mm. all full-time studying right. DeFi um, and, and yield farming. Um, they're always joking, we're like actually full-time farmers now. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So, so in that sense, I think it's pretty much uh, the same as here in the West, because I, I guess that's also what the Western like DeFi degens do, right? They, <laughs> yeah. Con- yeah, they continuously look for the most profitable like farms, uh, apes to get in. So I think in that sense, it's actually pretty uh, similar. It is. But then sometimes I think people would ape into things without really understanding too much of the underlying um token economics so a lot of them get mm-hmm. hurt a lot of them just kind of there are a few very sophisticated guys um, who get in and get out early and they're perhaps the retail flow that comes after um and you know just recently look at what happened to to faith and the new stable coin right. launch i think yes. a lot of people are hurt <laughs> and that's all like holding their backs and not sure what to do um Right. So we we also see a lot of that, but then right. you know it amazes me that next time when a new project launches, there's still so much money flowing into it from from Asia. Right. So um, it's actually pr- pretty funny that you uh, mentioned this, uh, but I think like um, uh, Chinese retail investors they use WeChat and Weibo, right? So it's the equivalent of like uh, WhatsApp. Uh, Twitter, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. I think I think it's actually pretty like uh, hot and very active, vivid now in China as well. Um, but I guess a lot of people they think that like crypto, uh, Bitcoin, uh, like those digital assets are banned in China, but that's actually not true. So if I hear that from you, right? Yeah, it's not. It's quite I mean, o- quite opposite. It is. Uh, it is a bit cumbersome. Um, mm-hmm. but there are people have found ways around it um, and then you know it hasn't stopped a lot of people from participating a lot of the um, the VC money or the crypto fund money they're, they're mostly offshore but a lot of the teams are based in Shanghai for example um, in China and they're very active in the scene right 
Uh, and what are some of the more interesting like uh, protocols people are talking about? So you briefly mentioned Binance Smart Chain, but I know that like Polkadot is very <laughs> yeah. hyped in China, right? Yeah, I mean, um, I guess Gavin Wood understood <laughs> the importance of capturing the, the Asia capital market as well, uh, perhaps from what he's what he's seen uh, with Ethereum. Um, so. And then, I mean, it also gives us a lot more imagination, right? It's something, mm -hmm. it's Ethereum, but then it's more, perhaps more that there's the, the cross chain and there are a lot of new projects being built on top of it. And then, um, and then the, the, the Shanghai community that I just mentioned, uh, a lot of them are invested in Polkadot and mm. all the other projects built on it and they're very bullish about it. Um, so, it, it is definitely very interesting to see that, yeah. Right. And like besides crypto, like the, the digital economy is China in China is very booming, right? So uh, I think for the, uh, the Westerners, Westerners that are, are known, like in China, we use like those super apps like WeChat, Alibay. It's like an all-inclusive ecosystem where uh, where you can do everything at once, right? So whether it's ordering like a DD or a taxi or like uh, booking Airbnb, Mm -hmm. Everything can happen through uh, Alipay, for instance. And so you can basically say that the Chinese uh, economy is mostly already digital. And But what, what kind of impact uh, does this have on crypto? Uh, is, this, is this like a ben, uh, beneficial, beneficial development for crypto or uh, is it quite the opposite? I think it's... Um... Like China, for sure, has already gone mostly digital. Right? I don't know the last time I've seen physical cash. Um, and I think that has spilled over into the other uh, the other geographies as well. I think the rest of the world is catching up and also going more digital as we speak. People are used to trading stocks in, in your Robinhood app and then you know transferring money digitally. And all of these central banks are adapting uh, CBDC or central bank digital currency. And I think as a result of the, the pandemic, people are more used to living in the virtual world, living the clouds and Zoom and, you know, paying people through digital transfers. So I think um, it probably started with, with this, um, this boom in, in China. But now I think the, whole, the rest of the world is also becoming this way. So I think, of course, it is um, beneficial for crypto. And in terms of, I think, a lot of the Gen Zs, um, they are so, they they really welcome the idea of digital assets of crypto because it's something that they are really used to it. They can understand. Um, and then I think in the future, I think more people are going to buy into this because uh, the question is, what is physical cash or what does fiat really mean. Um, so I, I think generally going digital is beneficial for crypto. But then again, I think it depends on the different regulations that the, the, the local governments will impose on, um, on what crypto means. Is it a new asset class, a new digital asset, or is it you know something, um, or is it mm -hmm. like security or a commodity? Right. Right. And we're all also like aware that like China is creating their own national currency. So I think they're actually like leaders in it. Right. So the DCEP. Um, so 
could could you maybe like briefly elaborate on that and also maybe share some insights like what are the latest developments on that? Yeah, um, actually, I've seen you know the people who um, got the lottery and and participate in the trial. So they uh, the mm-hmm. Chinese government selected a few cities in China like Shenzhen, Suzhou, Beijing, etc. Uh, where they're they're trying this DCEP or ECNY out, and then for the um, lucky winners of the lottery, they're given 200 yuan um, in digital form, and you can spend it at local shops or convenience stores. And um, the the whole process kind of feels like just using WeChat Pay or Alipay, except the underlying is built on uh, the, the central banks. Um, system um, that works with different commercial banks, um, and then the underlying technology is is blockchain. Um, so it, it is quite fascinating. A lot of people wanted to, to participate. People are curious what does E C N Y mean? Um, how do you use this new wallet? Uh, but the whole experience is quite. It's really similar to just really paying digitally, like we have in the past few years in, in China. Right. And as this TCP uh, become, becomes more mature and dominating in China, like will this, uh, what do you think at some point the government will like uh, actively intervene and really say, no, um, we can't, uh, you can't focus on uh, crypto or DeFi anymore for the retail investors? Or do you think that uh, the current situation will, ma- will remain as it is? Um what do you think that the future trend will be uh, with in this regard? That's an interesting question. Again, I can't pretend to know where the policy direction goes, but um, I think the government is treating it very separately. Crypto, right, a decentralized asset by definition is very different from DCEP. And they're looking to use DCEP to replace physical cash. So that everything is done digitally and um, recorded in the public ledger um, anonymously, of course, but, you know, will be recorded in their own centralized uh, database versus uh, crypto. um, I think the government's attitude has always just been that, you know, they don't encourage people really, uh, especially the retail market, really investing in something that's so volatile, which, you know, I tend to Mm -hmm. agree because I've seen a lot of people who aped in things and never didn't really understand the risk, right? Um, but I think the interesting thing is, you know, once people accept the idea of DCEP, how are they going to feel about crypto, which is the more decentralized and the more anonymized version of central bank mm-hmm. digital currency. Right, right. And um, what does DCEP mean for, uh, for instance, the super apps like WeChat and Alipay? Do you see like that these uh, super apps will like collaborate uh, with DCP or will the government try to uh, diminish, uh, reduce the existence or um, distribute the power of those super apps? What, how will that look like? Um, I think... Alibaba and Tencent probably have been really trying <laughs> to be a part of a part of the a part of the DCEP, uh ecosystem, but then I think right now what we've seen is the central banks have really only worked with the uh, the big commercial banks uh, on rolling mm-hmm. this out. But again, right, this is still the trial phase, so 
um, it could be possible that Alipay and Tencent will be integrated as as well. And I, and I know that they are developing their own blockchain enterprise solutions and, and um, things like that. Uh, but I think ultimately it really depends on, on the central banks and, and how they view. Uh, because, I mean, Tencent and Alibaba, they're not a bank. They're not a commercial bank. They're more of a tech platform. Um, but um, also with just what happened recently with, with Jack Ma and Alibaba. So I, I feel like maybe the government uh, would err on kind of really still just turning to their own um, commercial banks uh, for, for this, for now. Understood. Uh, and obviously, like mining is a very hot development in China, uh, but it's also very like private, I'd say. Um, so we don't really know what's exactly happening uh, in terms of like the mining developments. So maybe could you maybe like briefly uh, tap into that? Like how is the mining industry actually looking like? Because I, I know that like Chinese investors, they really love like mining related uh, projects, right? Yeah. Uh, so Fal- <laughs> Falcoin was obviously like a very big one. Mm-hmm. So what's, what's, the, what's the reason uh, for that? Like why do Chinese people really like mining uh, and mining related projects i think it's a concept that a lot of these um people coming from traditional industries can understand right they're buying a hardware and it's you know using cloud computing to generate something to generate a cash flow or revenue for them so i think this concept is 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 more relatable to them and then and to be frank it, it is easier um I think it's probably the only very legal way for them to, to invest in RMB and then um, it, it, into mining machines and then mining farms and then earn crypto. Um, because right for them, it's, it's an entity that is investing in, in actual physical mining machines um, that are produced, you know, that are using cloud computing or something like that. So it, it's, um, and that's why a lot of the traditional money probably would prefer to have exposure to crypto through mining instead, as opposed to kind of going through the trouble of setting up offshore uh, dollar funds and then then buying Bitcoin that way. Um, And in the mining industry, I think it's, it's, it's interesting. It's a lot of people who came from probably traditional actual mining, like mining coal or other, other things that are like precious metals. They, they, some of them have moved to, uh, mining Bitcoin, uh, because again, I think it's something that they're familiar with. Um, and with Filecoin, uh, I think, you know, outside of Bitcoin, Ethereum, a lot of investors really understood um, or really like the, the narrative uh, behind Filecoin, which is um, decentralized or cloud storage. Right? This is, again, mm-hmm. a hot area um, in the traditional industries and, and um, everybody wants a piece of that and it's very easy for a lot of the RMB based funds to to um, invest directly into mining. Right. And is it just like uh because Falcoin or uh the data storage industry, so for instance like R Weave uh or SIA, like are those also like very um popular like projects in China or is it just Falcoin? Yeah, it's mostly just Filecoin uh, because I personally mm-hmm. um, also really like their we've 
um, team in tech and then, you know, she has just been around for a long time. Um, so when I was in the States, actually, I think these are the the names in terms of when, when you mm-hmm. talk about essentialized storage, these are names that pop up. But when I came back to, to China, it's all about Filecoin and IPFS. Um, so that is actually quite interesting. Wow, cool. Um, and what are some of the interesting like Chinese crypto or DeFi projects that you're seeing out there? So I think DBank is obviously a very uh, popular one among the Chinese, right? So the trying to be like the, the Zephyr Zerion uh, of China, uh, mass network we briefly talked about. Uh, like, how do you see that trend uh, moving forward? Um, I think definitely seeing a lot uh, more and more of these interesting projects um, that are originated from from Asia. I would say, um, you know, D Bank is one of also one of the Dragonfly's portfolio company, and and I've met them personally, um, and also know the Mask Network guys pretty well. They're all uh, Suji, and and you know, it's uh, a thought leader I could say in in, in some spaces. So it's great to see that coming out uh, from Asia. Uh, but like I said, I think the majority of the, the innovation um, is still coming out of the U.S. Um, and a lot of the the big names um, in DeFi, for example, whether the old school DeFi or maybe the, the new <laughs> the new DeFi ecosystem, they're still pretty much um, based in states. Um, but I'll be very excited to see more of more of the likes of D-Bank and Mask, um, maybe Nervals uh, of the likes coming out of out of China because we, we have the ability to and we have the community. Right. So there are actually a lot of uh, Western projects that also want to tap into the, the Chinese uh, industry. So, but obviously because the, the culture, the religion, uh, the business ethics, everything is different, right? So what is like, what are you seeing? Like, what are some of the most uh, complicated uh, or threshold or boundaries for for Western companies to tap into? And what would be the uh, what would be the most of the way for them to actually tap into the Chinese industry? How should they approach this? Yeah, I mean, we actually get asked that question a lot, just because uh, Amber Group kind of sits in the intersection of, of East and West, and um, we understand we have exposure to the Western market, but our roots is in Asia. So we, we see a lot of what's going on here. I think the most important thing, which we also briefly t- touched upon, is for a lot of these Western projects to understand that, first of all, Asia is just not one country or one culture or one language. Um, you really have to think about all the different nuances. Um, so when you come to Asia, it's, it's you know, less condescending saying that, okay, we have one guy that's just going to do it all. Um, but it's really understanding the, the, uh, the local markets um, and, and, you know, what people are looking for. Um, also understand that people are very eager to do business and, and you know, things move a lot faster here. Um, so I think, you know, and, and we are very open-minded here in Asia. Um, we embrace all of the new ideas. Um, so I feel like on, on the culture side, it's probably less of a barrier, but just understanding that there is 
there are different cultures in Asia and, and tackle them differently. Understood. Uh, and also, so Meitu recently acquired uh, a reasonable stack of Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, so two questions about that, like, do you expect more Asia Chinese related like ventures to also uh, making the same move as Meitu? Uh, so that's the first question. And the second one would be, what kind of impact um, does this have on Chinese uh, retail, high net worth institutional players? Sure. So, you know, Meitu is not the first uh, public company uh, that has been really public about their investment or allocation into crypto. Uh, Michael Strategy right, is definitely the, the pioneer, Michael Saylor being the uh, the Bitcoin guy now, and then, <laughs> you know, and Elon Musk and Jack Dorsey. Um, I think that trend all really started last summer. Um, and then the Chinese investors, both retail and the high net worth um, institutional side, have seen that. And that's why a lot of them are actively allocating into crypto as well. Like, I mean, this year, our, our volume really just... Um, grew uh, multiples because we and we're seeing so many of these um, high net worth individuals coming out of based in, in Asia really investing in, into Bitcoin. But I think in terms of institution side or more like public codes like May too, um, perhaps it's a little difficult for them. Uh, especially the ones based in China, just because, you know, the government's attitude on, on crypto in general hasn't been so positive. But what we've seen is all these household names behind these institutions. They are allocating um, through their family offices and, and their, on their personal accounts. Um, so that's given us a lot of confidence and where this could go. Um, and I think, you know, the U.S. institutions, they are uh, really going all in on Bitcoin. Uh, Microsoft just mm. bought more a few days ago. And um, I think that's just continuing to, to give the, the market uh, globally confidence. Um, and Wall Street has really did a 180 on um, how they're painting Bitcoin and, and crypto in general. Like I think in 2018, most of them called it a scam. And now they're all calling it an investable asset. Um, so I think, again, right, seeing that attitude change probably means that there has been more demand on their client side, which are the the big institutions. Um, so definitely really um, great development for the markets. And um, we should see where, where it goes. Right. And also recently, so we saw the world's first major uh, NFT exhibition uh, happening in Beijing, right? So, yeah. uh, like, are you aware of that? Like, what is happening, like, in terms of like the NFT uh, developments in China? Uh, are Chinese investors also like very hyped about NFTs, or what's what's the, what's the status? Yeah, um, I mean, I think both in the U.S. and China, I have friends from really non-crypto background. They're in art or fashion or, um, you know, in like managing different influencers uh, based in LA or someone based in China. They're all talking about NFTs. 
um, just because all all of the celebrities are taking the charge in that, and more people are are talking about it. And and uh, with this UCCA exhibition in Beijing, I think you know that's just made news everywhere, like um, in China and also globally. Um, so we're seeing that like a lot of a lot of um, hype around it, both in the West and also now um, in, in Asia as well. And there are a lot of people uh, building different NFT platforms and tokenizing a lot of very interesting underlying artworks or other or content, et cetera, or even data to be put on uh, the blockchain in, in NFT format. So. I think mm. um, we've seen kind of like a similar hype um, in the last bull run, but this time, just like you know where Bitcoin is at now, I think it's at another level, and it's just great to see um, because you know crypto is not just about Bitcoin. Um, mm-hmm. What we believe is the the crypto 2.0 or even 3.0 is having all these different assets in real life being brought on chain. We've seen um, the crypto native tokens like Bitcoin, Ethereum, um, and then also now bringing dollars right onto the, onto the blockchain um, into dollar stable coins. And maybe what's next, right? Maybe it, it is um, different security tokens. Maybe it is um, real assets. Maybe it is art. Um, so I think it is mm-hmm. a development in that direction. Right, uh, makes a lot of sense. And because, like in the the West, so we've seen Mark Cuban, uh, Logan Paul, some of the uh, famous internet celebrities, but also like entrepreneurs uh, that tap into this NFT space. Do you reckon that at some points uh, that the Chinese uh, celebrities, but also the the online internet celebrities uh, like Wang Hong, do they? Do you believe that? They at some point will also like tokenize their music or their art or their skills and put it on a blockchain. Or do you think that at this stage for Chinese intense celebrities that's still um, some time away? Um, I think I think they're all actively looking to the space. Um, but then again, just because the government's um, kind of attitude towards uh, blockchain or crypto, even though you know NFTs are probably uh, arguably quite different from Bitcoin, for example, but I think they're a bit more cautious or more careful. Um, mm-hmm. But I think we're going to see really high quality online assets being brought on chain and assets created by Chinese artists. Um, so, and, you know, and I'm really excited to see that. Um, and I think it is going to happen uh, because it is a new use case. Um, maybe it means more people can own a piece of their favorite artist's work. Um, and it is easier for people to uh, verify the ownership of certain pieces. But, you know, I do see real cases for for this technology. Um, and I really do hope to see a lot more just exciting and, and um, high quality content, artwork, um, whatever, being brought on chain. Mm-hmm. And so we uh, briefly mentioned about Amber Group. That's uh, your partner at Amber Group, right? So what are you guys actually doing in this space? 
could you maybe elaborate on that? Sure. Um, again, like I mentioned, um, we are uh, global in the sense that we are based in Hong Kong, but we have teams uh, all over Asia and also in North America. Um, really trying, um, you know, really position our ourselves as at the intersection being the East and the West. We service institutional and individual clients all over the world. Um, we offer 24-7 coverage services for people who want to buy or sell crypto, uh, who have borrow lending needs or other liquidity needs. Um, so we are really a one-stop shop for your secondary market crypto finance needs. Um, we also built our own product suite last year. So now you can access our product service, our offerings through our web and portal or our mobile app. Um, and we, we aim to bring um, the institutional grade services to more people who want to participate in crypto, especially with this bull run. We are seeing that demand. Um, so, and you know, that's what we're going to do, continue iterating our products uh, to offer more services that are coming into the ecosystem, or maybe it's more DeFi related services or, or NFT um, or whatever new things that come into this market. We're quick to adapt. Um, and that's, you know, that would, that's what get us going every day. Right. And have you seen like from, um, from Ember Group's point of view, like have you seen more uh, interest from retail or uh, institutional, like, uh, or both? Um, I would say both. Um, this year, through our mobile app, the Ember app, which is more retail facing, uh, we've seen uh, a tremendous growth. Um, we quadrupled in, in terms of number of users just in the first three months. Um, and then that you know that's on the retail side, and also on the institution side. Um, like I mentioned, right, a lot of the household names, the high worth, high net worth individuals are coming to us to, to really think about their portfolio allocation and really um, allocating to into Bitcoin and even some of the, the other coins like DeFi, the big DeFi names, or even Polkadot. Um, so that's just really interesting to, to, to see them also learning and, and um, growing within the space. So I would say, yeah, growth is, is definitely on both sides. Awesome. Uh, and how does Ember Group focus on DeFi or uh, crypto in general? Like, what are your visions uh, on that aspect? Um, I think, like I mentioned earlier, I, we don't want to just be uh, where you go to to buy or sell Bitcoin. I think it is any asset on chain. Maybe it's Bitcoin, Ethereum now, and then dollar stable coins, and then uh, maybe it is like wrapped. Uh, derivatives or um, tokenized securities or tokenized uh, non-fungible artworks, etc. I think we are ready to, to facilitate any needs um, that our users or investors have. Um, so we are keep, you know, we keep iterating our own, um, our own products and our own tech, uh, building our own wallet infrastructure, for example, so that we can support all the new asset classes on chain. And that's what, what we see ourselves to um, adapt and evolve with the, with the crypto industry and then being able to deliver um, and facilitate all the needs that our users and this market has. Um, so in terms of DeFi, we are 
providing a lot of, you know, back last summer when DeFi yield farming was really topical, um, we offered simplified products um, on our website. So then they, a lot of our investors can just subscribe and in one click, um, as opposed to really interacting with different protocols, using MetaMask and hedging their risk, et cetera. So really abstract away a lot of the complexities um, for our users to, to be able to participate in the DeFi world. And then later on, it is um, perhaps doing the same with NFTs. Maybe people want to bid NFT options, but they don't know how to um, how to submit a bid on, on chain, for example. And then we are happy to, to manage that for them. Um, so it's really being, being there, being the service provider um, at the intersection of, of uh of bringing the traditional assets on uh, on chain. Right. And since you guys are also like serving like both uh, institutional and retail uh, in East and the West, uh, what are some of the, the differences in user behavior uh, between like Chinese investors versus, for instance, the, 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 the investors in the States? Uh, I would say on the institutional side, um, it's quite similar. They're all very sophisticated players. Um, they might focus on different things. For example, if you look at uh, decentralized storage, uh, maybe Chinese investors return to Filecoin versus U.S. investors are more so looking at Airweave. But um, they're all very sophisticated uh, people investing in the space. They all have their own thesis and um and, you know, seeing it play out. But on the retail side, I feel like uh, there are major differences um, with, I think, Chinese or Asia-based investors are perhaps uh, looking for yields and, and they're, they're more aggressive in terms of taking risks versus U.S.-based mm-hmm. investors. I think a lot of them are more passive, maybe just kind of putting some money in, into um, crypto and into Bitcoin and maybe all to invest every month. And then put it aside. Uh, but Chinese investors or Chinese retail markets, they they like going down the risk spectrum and looking at different altcoins, um, and then you know looking for different you know more returns, more yield that way. Right. And in terms of like um, uh, like age segmentation, like are those like mainly like young investors, like ages ranging between. 2030 or, or, or like is it also like more senior people so people maybe um, 35 to 50 like what are, what are some of the ranges uh, that you're seeing I, out right there, like? I think um, just through the stats of um, our retail facing amber app um, the the majority of the age group is are still the millennials so people who are probably around like 30 years old um, and they're quite active, uh, which is, I guess, pretty similar to, to, uh, to, you know, in the West and also in, in Asia. Um, mm-hmm. and then on the institution side, um, the crypto native institutions are also quite young. I think we also say the millennials, um, versus the high net worth individuals. They are usually, um, a bit older who came from traditional space. Um, but oftentimes the second generation are also, you know, they're probably the Gen Zs and they're, they are also very active, 
uh, and really interested in, in the crypto space, which tied into the point I mentioned earlier of these people growing up in a more digital age, and it's just so much easier for them to understand um, the, the new concepts. And for them, they understand NFTs uh, versus maybe for some more old school investors, they would rather own a physical painting than having a token in the ethernet <laughs> representing it. So, <laughs> Right. That's very interesting. Um, so to wrap it off, like a final question is, how do you see the crypto DeFi space evolve in China, Asia? Um, like what segments, industries do you think will be uh, interesting to 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 keep an eye on uh, in the Asian uh, the, the the Eastern um, markets. Um, I feel like DeFi in general, whether it is Asia or the West, is quite focused on on yield generating for now. Right, we we got a lot of um, capital uh, being pulled into DeFi and a lot of. Uh, communities being built because there are very attractive yields. And um, hopefully, I think we can move away from that. So we've bootstrapped the initial liquidity and the initial community um, through through this yield farming system, which is genius. Then where do we go from there? I really hope it is finding um, real use cases for a lot of these um, DeFi protocols. Maybe it is in the old school kind of, you know, it started with the spot market, with the DEXs, and then the lending markets, like the, the early maker DAOs of the world. And then now there are a lot of synthetic derivatives, uh, trading um, swaps and options, um, and then even in, in prediction markets. Um, and then we're seeing all the space really evolving. And then um, I think there are poss- the possibilities are many, um, but we, I think eventually we will find um, a real use case beyond uh, just yield farming once, you know, with the community and the capital we have already pulled together. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, thank you for joining the Feedback Loop uh, show today, uh, Annabelle. I really enjoyed the informative and insightful discussions. Uh, do you perhaps have a final word uh, or something you would like to say to the audience? Um, sure. I mean, thanks for having me on as well. It was lovely chatting with you. Um, just, I guess I'll leave my contact information uh, for people who want to reach out. You can find more information about the Amber Group at ambergroup.io. Uh, we're also on Twitter at ambergroup.io. You can reach out to me on Twitter directly as well at underscore Annabelle Huang. All right. I'll also make sure to include the information uh, so so that users can find out about Ember Group. Awesome. All right. Yeah.